0: Our scripture lessons today, for those who'll be listening later, come from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, Psalm 100, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. In ancient Israel, the late rains fell in February and March. After that, farmers planted. There would be almost no rain again until the early rains of October and November. The farmers would harvest their crops before the rains came. If harvesting wasn't complete before the rains started, crops could spoil. Unlike today, most people worked on farms because it was so labor intensive, even though the farms were much smaller back then. As a result, most of Israel's society followed the annual rhythms around farming. Even as a carpenter's son, much of Jesus' life would have been impacted by farm life, so he was very comfortable using farm-related analogies in his teaching. We find that today in the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 9, where he noted both challenges and solutions to his Gospel ministry using both flock and farm analogies. Our ministry challenges today seem even greater. Our gospel reading today starts with verse 35, which is the end of a long section in Matthew, which starts in chapter 4, verse 23. We know this because the two verses are almost word-for-word identical. That was a common ancient writing technique that indicated the boundaries of a passage. That means Matthew is starting a new section with verse 36, and that's where we'll be focusing today. Matthew starts with Jesus noting two problems in his ministry. The first is the state of the people of Israel. They are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The second problem is that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The first is a quality problem. The second, a quantity problem. To properly understand what Jesus is saying, some context is in order. We understand the sheep metaphor since it is a common one throughout Scripture. The harvest is a little more tricky. Let's take a brief look at Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16. Then I looked, and lo! a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat upon the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat upon the cloud swung his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. The harvest described here in Revelation is the exact one that Jesus was alluding to in Matthew. It's the time of the resurrection and judgment. Jesus, the triumphal king, is clearly the one wearing the crown who reaps the earth. We know both Matthew and Revelation are describing the resurrection because the harvest is a single event that brings all the faithful into the Lord's storehouse at once. Also, like Revelation, the Lord of the harvest is the reigning Christ. The crops are the people of the earth, and Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Now that we understand both analogies, let's look at the ministry problems Jesus saw. He saw a quality problem, that the people were without a shepherd. The people of Jesus' day were being told what to think by numerous opposing groups. The Pharisees were the leading group. They were highly respected and emphasized strict adherence to the law of Moses. The Sadducees were the aristocratic priests, who didn't believe in an afterlife, angels, or demons, and didn't think mankind's obedience to the law really mattered. They were largely political, seeking to maintain their power. There were the zealots, the violent revolutionary wing of the Pharisee party. And there were the Essenes, who believed in withdrawal from the world like monks. They were even more extreme than the Pharisees. Lastly, there were the Romans and other Gentile groups that worshiped other gods or didn't bother to worship at all. All these ways of thinking competed with each other and influenced Jewish life in Jesus' day. 2,000 years later and the crowds are not all that different. Our modern conveniences and way of living only mask the internal struggle. Many ideas compete for our affections. One can find Christianity in all different expressions. Sometimes, like the Sadducees, faith becomes intermingled with politics, almost always to the detriment of true faith. We now live in a time when every world religion is freely available to anyone who wants to join them and all compete with our faith. Here in Idaho, we also have a strong Mormon influence which looks Christian, but is actually a faith of many gods. Lastly, there is the growing influence of pagan ideologies, such as personal health, saving the planet, and making a difference through politics. Add to this mix the outrage for profit that is our current media environment, and it is easy to feel harassed and helpless. As Jesus noted, the second problem was the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As I said earlier, this is a quantity problem. Remember what it was like a couple of years ago when the pandemic was receding, but no one could find enough employees to hire? Restaurants particularly had shortened workdays or couldn't even open at all due to staffing problems. Some products would occasionally be unavailable in stores because the places that made them were also understaffed. The laborers were few. Do you remember how frustrating it was to have our lives upended in this way? Well, imagine how frustrating it must have been for Jesus, looking at the crowds in need and knowing that even with his disciples, they could not possibly reach everyone. Our problems today, when it comes to the gospel harvest, appear even more challenging. The people are still harassed and helpless, but instead of the harvest looking plentiful, it looks pathetic. We go out into the fields, and instead of seeing a sea of wheat blowing in the breeze, what we see is a field that is largely empty, with a few weak stalks poking up from the ground here and there. There is almost nothing to harvest. Poll after poll in the U.S. show this to be true. Churches across the country are closing and denominations are shrinking. Fewer and fewer people consider themselves to be Christians. It looks more like the harvest is decimated and the laborers are too. It is easy to be pessimistic when we look at the current state of Christianity. We don't see the church marching forward in triumph. Sometimes it looks like we're in full retreat. But the opposite is actually true. The harvest isn't to be found in the church. We are supposed to be the laborers. The harvest is the over 5 billion people around the world who are not following Christ today. Now that's a plentiful harvest. Or right here in the Treasure Valley, there are hundreds of thousands who do not know Christ. We could all quit our jobs today and become full-time evangelists, and we would still not reach all of them. So Christ's assessment is still absolutely true. But we fail to see the full picture. Christ is the Lord of the harvest and he will not suffer defeat. In verse 38, Jesus tells us the answer. The Lord of the harvest sends out laborers. Who has the responsibility to harvest the fields? The landowner. The landowner is the one who has to make arrangements for the laborers to show up in the fields at the right time and get to work. The laborers aren't just going to show up uninvited. If the early rains come and the fields are unharvested, the landowner is the one who has to deal with the consequences. But we can't ignore the other part of verse 38. Our part. The obvious one is laboring in the harvest. It's no accident that this short speech by Jesus in both both Luke chapter 9 and... Sorry, Luke... Chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 9 introduced the sending out of the disciples for ministry. The manpower shortage problem can only be fixed with more people. Therefore, Jesus sent his workers out seemingly as a solution to the problem. We tend to read this passage today as a call for more ministers and missionaries. This is the professional class of laborers for the harvest. There's nothing wrong with this, but that's only part of the story. First, by sending out missionaries, some people mistakenly think that they have done all they need to do. They can relax now because they've done their part. That's human nature, but it's wrong. The second mistake in focusing on the professional class in ministry is that it misses the vital role of lay people. You are the church. It cannot survive without you. Pastors are merely the equippers of the church. Back when I worked in sales, I learned that it's better to get 10% of the labor from 10 people than 100% of the labor from one person. The same applies to ministry. There is no way that I can repeat the opportunities that all of you have to witness within your spheres of influence. If no one but the professionals did any evangelism, the church would be in a sorry state indeed. The interesting thing here, however, is that Jesus' response to the shortage of laborers isn't to tell his disciples to get going. That comes later. What does he say? In that moment he tells them to pray pray when the solution to the problem is so obvious why are we told to pray well i think there are a few reasons first consistent prayer has a way of changing one's heart have you ever prayed for something consistently week after week or month after month and noticed your desire increase What was once a lukewarm interest becomes a burning desire. As we will read in Jeremiah next Sunday, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Prayer does that. It changes our motivations and desires. Jesus knew this. By telling his disciples to pray that the Lord of the Harvest would send out laborers, he was essentially giving them a lesson on how to care about the salvation of others as much as he does. All effective ministry starts with caring. I like to think of prayer as the starting point of faith. It takes a lot of faith in Christ to talk to strangers or even friends about the need to accept Him. It takes a lot of faith to give more money than one normally does for ministry because one senses the Holy Spirit telling them to. But you know what doesn't take a lot of faith? Prayer. It takes some time and some concentration, but there's no real cost to prayer. That's why I consider it the starting point of faith. But the amazing thing is that prayer is not only the starting point, it is one of the key ways to nourish and exercise our faith and cause it to grow. I would venture to say it's probably impossible to have a daily habit of meaningful prayer and not grow spiritually. We grow closer to God in prayer. This is a phenomenal truth when you think about it, because it doesn't matter if you are young or old, have a physical disability, are rich or poor, educated or not, have been walking with Jesus for one year or 90, everyone can pray. And by doing so, our desires and motivations are transformed, and we become more like Christ as our faith grows. That's why Jesus' answer to the problem of too few workers is prayer. Not only does prayer transform our hearts, but as a result, our behavior changes. If we all pray for more workers to labor for the gospel, we will become more aware and willing to labor ourselves. In other words, we become the instruments to answer our own prayers. The opportunities are there. We just have to care enough to take them. As we prepare to receive communion, we are reminded that Jesus had compassion on us. When he looked out and saw the crowds who were harassed and helpless, he didn't just see those standing before him. He saw all the crowds throughout time, the nameless millions that included us, until we recognized Jesus as the great shepherd. He says to us now, you are no longer part of the harassed and helpless crowd, but are instead my laborers. Despite appearances, the harvest is still plentiful. Pray for more laborers and see how I will answer your prayers. Just as prayer is an act of faith and submission, so is receiving the Eucharist. Our great challenge is to care about the harvest as much as our Lord does. And it starts with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,